for new ones for the invocation and to lead us into the Pledge of Allegiance. Please join me in prayer. God, remind us that without you, we are nothing. Our life, our time belongs to you alone, and I ask that you use our lives, use our time for your glory. Set us apart to do the good works that you have planned in advance for us. Change the way we think, the way we live. Draw us closer to you and remind us of your unfailing love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Councilman Newens. And before we, uh, excuse me, Madam Clerk, would you please call the roll? Councilmember Bunn? Here. Councilmember Carey? Here. Councilmember Ike? Present. Councilmember Newens? Here. Councilmember Ritter? Here. Councilmember Ward? Present. Councilmember Whitaker? Present. Vice Mayor Dietrichke? Here. And Mayor West? Here. So before we begin tonight, I would like to ask everyone to please just join me for a moment of silence in the honor, the memory, and legacy of our detective Jared Shivers, who gave the ultimate sacrifice in the line of duty 16 years ago on January 17, 2008. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Madam Attorney, would you please provide the language for the closed meeting held this afternoon at 440? <clears throat> a motion to certify that to the best of each member's knowledge, only public business matters lawfully exempted from open meeting requirements by Virginia law were discussed, and only such public business matters as were identified in the motion convening the closed meeting were heard, discussed, or considered. Motion, please. Second. Thank you, Mr. Ike and Dr. Ward. Please prepare to vote. Please vote and record. Motion to certify the closed meeting is adopted by a 9-0 vote. Next is the approval of the proposed agenda. Are there any changes that, what, to the proposed agenda? Mayor West. Dr. Ward. I mean, Dr. Excuse, excuse me, Dr. Dietrich. Thank you. Um, I move to approve the uh, proposed agenda uh, with the exception of item B, uh, which at the request of the applicant will be continued until February 20th. Thank you very much. Is there any discussion? Second. Oh, excuse me, we have a second, second. Dr. Ward. Is there any discussion? Dr. Ditchke, any discussion? Yes, Please prepare to vote. Please vote and record. Motion to approve the proposed agenda as amended is adopted by an eight to one vote with the exception of PLN PUD C 2022-003 Ashburn Meadows, which will be heard February the 20th, 2024. Next, uh, uh, public hearing items, agents, citizens, and co uh, citizen comments on public hearing items. Madam Clerk, are there any citizens who wish to speak prior to the presentation of the public hearing items? No, sir. Thank you. <clears throat> Would you please present public hearing item A? PLN REZ 2023-019 Joseph Meadows, Prim Pay Development LLC applicant. Melissa Petram and Julian Robertson, owners, Civil Engineering and Construction Services, LLC Agency, 
for a conditional zoning reclassification of 5.5 acres from R15S residential district to RMF1 multifamily residential district located at 392 and 408 Kimsville Road in the Greenbrier planning area. The planning commission recommends approval with the proffers listed in the official agenda. Mr. McNamara. The proposed rezoning is consistent with the 2035 land use plan and is compatible with the surrounding residential land uses. It supports City Council's desired outcome of connectivity and is consistent with the smart growth principle of creating attractive amenitized communities. Staff therefore recommends approval with proffers dated November 8, 2023. Thank you, sir. Do we have any speakers? Madam Clerk. Um, Taylor Grissom, representing Primpay, is here for questions only. Sam Baraki. Speaking in support. For questions only. And Vic, Vic Nichols. Just a couple of questions and comments. Why did the original zoning of R15 get put instead of RMF? What is the net expected profit? Is the development going to pay for itself? Taxes are spiraling up. Virginia is eighth in the nation now for state and local taxes. How many of these units will there be at $250,000? We have little affordable housing. There are concerns about police and teachers not being able to live here. So why would planning want more of what we already have rather than what we need, which is a $250,000 price point? One other item is that renters have been hit harder by inflation than homeowners. So it would be nice if we could have and make sure that the units are sold and not rented out. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes the speakers. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Are the, uh, can we have a motion, please? Move approval with proffers. Thank you, Mr. Whitaker. Second. Thank you, Mr. Bunn. Is there any discussion? Yes. I, I have Mr. a couple Ritter? questions, if I might. Um, to the manager, I guess to it would be to Mr. McNamara. Um, I understand the elevations are going to be changing from what is in the package. Is that correct? Have you gotten those? Yes, ma'am, we have those elevations, and I believe, reading correctly here, just want to check the, uh, the proffer, but if you want to continue with the question, I'd be glad to read up as you're asking. Well, actually, what I want to know is, is it, can you accept different elevations given that the date is in, I would assume changing the date of the submission of the elevation would not constitute needing a continuance. So there's no specific reference to dated elevations on this. Uh, the proffers, specifically proffer number seven, speaks to a lot of the architectural elements uh, that set a minimum standard uh, and there's certain requirements as well as those that so yes there is room for revisions proffer number five is what we're looking at ah yes so there is specific there is specific uh ability for the applicant to work with the planning director to modify elevations to make sure that they're consistent okay um i just want to make sure that those 
can be incorporated without having to come back. I don't know how to assure us that we're going to get the changes. Yes, ma'am. Those those can certainly come back with. Or they, they they do not need to come back. They can be modified after the fact as long as they are deemed consistent with uh, approval from. Would from it the be director. too much trouble for you to let us know which elevations are going to be um, done? Yes, ma'am. We can certainly communicate that with with council once a an elevation is submitted. Okay. Thank you. Um, and secondarily, just so the question doesn't go unanswered. Um, to Ms. Lindley, there isn't any legal framework, is there, for deter putting a price point in a proffer? That's market-driven, correct? Yes, there's been some case law that kind of dissuades us from having kind of socioeconomic proffers, um, and so generally we have stayed away from that. Okay, so that's not, despite the problem with we can't ask for proffers, anymore um, that is precluded really from trying to set a price point or assure that you know somebody cannot rent a property that they own people sometimes voluntarily um, proffer that in their own language but historically Chesapeake has not made those requests because like I said we're concerned about the constitutionality and reasonableness of such a proffer and so that is the model we currently employ. Right. Sometimes what seems like common sense isn't done because it's precluded, particularly with Virginia land use law. So thank you. To that point, I would like to ask you a question, Mr. Parakh, if you don't mind. <clears throat> I think it's a valid concern about, you know, rental property in a neighborhood. Given the price point of these units, what, what are the likelihood of there being rentals in this Subdivision. The way the, this project is designed with the, all the, com, uh, the community items we're providing, having those as a rental is going to be very rare. I mean, these, <laughs> these, uh, the smallest unit is going to be in the probably upper $300,000 range, and uh, the house is probably in the, in the $600,000 range. So it's a condominium community, and... Um, I'm not sure if we have a clause in the condominium documents that this unit cannot be rented for. You have to live in the unit certain amount of time before the unit can be rented, and we have done that before in other projects. But on this one, I don't believe we have included that in. But it certainly is something we can, I can check with uh, my client and we can address that. I would really, I, I think the question is more to, to just for everyone to understand the nature of this project. And I don't believe that, it, I did not believe after reading the background that it would be uh, a very likely that it would be much rental, even if the documents do, the condominium documents did allow. So I appreciate you pointing that out. And, it, and also to the point, uh, to the uh, speaker's question about affordability of houses. You know, I think we all have to understand that there is a shortage of housing altogether. And so when you build houses and you create more supply, you are making it more affordable. So again, thank you, sir. Appreciate yes. it. Any other comments or questions councilman would like to make? Seeing none, I'm going to call, ask you all to please prepare to vote. Please vote and record. 
Motion to approve PLN REZ 2023-019 with proffers as presented is adopted by a 9-0 vote. Next item, please. PLNU CT 2023-001, Dish Wireless Yatkin Road. Dish Wireless LLC applicant, Vebco owner, Dewberry Engineers Inc. Agency for a conditional use permit to install and operate a wireless communication tower and antenna on an existing 110-foot transmission tower, making the total proposed height 130 feet with related facilities on a 150-square-foot leased area within a 57.5-acre parcel. The applicant also requests an alternative parking surface. The property is located at 3015 Yadkin Road in the Deep Creek Planning Area. The Planning Commission recommends approval with the stipulations listed in the official agenda. Mr. McNamara? The proposed communication tower is consistent with the policies of the comprehensive plan and is compatible with the adjacent land uses. The use is consistent with the evaluation criteria set <coughs> forth in the zoning ordinance and staff recommends approval with stipulations dated November 21st, 2023. Thank you. We have any speakers, Madam Clerk? Yes, sir. We have one speaker, Jeff Holland, representing Dish Wireless. Speaking in support. Let's see. Oh, sorry. Good evening, Mayor, members of council. My name is Jeff Holland. I'm, I work for Dewberry Engineers and I represent Dish Wireless. I'm just here to answer any questions you may have. Thanks. Thank you for being here. We do need a motion with stipulations and the alternative parking surface request. Motion approved with stipulations and alternative parking surface request. Thank you, Mr. Second. Vice Mayor. Thank you, Mr. Carey. Any discussion? Questions? Yes, Mr. Ike. The applicant could come up, please. <clears throat> Can you briefly explain how this is going to work, this dish wireless with a single monopole tower like that? Well, I know there's a residential or what? What is it? It's, it's going to help Dish Wireless, as you know, after the T-Mobile Sprint merger, Dish Wireless became the fourth carrier. So they're rapidly trying to put their antennas up on you know, any towers that are there. Uh, what they do is they give us a search ring. We go out and see if there's any existing towers. Um, there's a tower at the intersection of 64 and 17 that VDOT owns. It was over capacity. So then next they looked at this property and it's really to capture, to help improve service along 64, because as you know, that area is pretty industrial. Mm -hmm. So that's the goal of this tower. So it's cell service, not dish network TV service. No, it, okay. yeah, it's dish wireless service. Thank you. Thank you, any other questions or comments before we vote? We do have a motion for approval. Please prepare to vote. Please vote and record. Motion to approve PLNU CT 2023-001 with stipulations and the alternative parking surface request as presented is adopted by a 9-0 vote. Next item, please. PLN text 2023-010. An ordinance amending Appendix A of the City Code entitled Zoning, Article 3, Section 3-403, Article 7, Section 7-302 and 402, Article 8, Sections 8-302 and Article 9, Sections 9-302 and 402, to add a definition for abutting and to clarify maximum permitted building heights for buildings or silos abutting residential properties in the business 
industrial and office, institutional and assembly districts. The Planning Commission recommends approval of the version dated November the 16th, 2023. And what is the staff's recommendation, Mr. McNamara? The proposed text amendment clarifies the terms necessary for the administration of building height requirements in non-residential districts that abut residential properties and follows good zoning practices. Staff recommends approval of version dated November 16th, 2023. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> Do we have any speakers? No, sir. Uh, motion version dated November 16, 2023 is in order. Move approval. Thank you, Dr. Ward. Second. Thank you, Mr. Whitaker. Is there any discussion? Please prepare to vote. Please vote and record, Madam Clark. Motion to approve PLN text 2023-010, version dated November the 16th, 2023, as presented, is adopted by a 9-0 vote. Next item. PLN text 2023-011, an ordinance amending Appendix A of the City Code in Title Zoning, Article 12, Sections 12-604, 605, and 607, to permit residential development in the South Norfolk Business Overlay District. The Planning Commission recommends approval of version dated October the 4th, 2023. And Mr. McNamara. The proposed changes support the objectives of the South Norfolk Business Overlay District as stated in the zoning ordinance to enhance and promote those physical and architectural aspects of the area and promotes ongoing revitalization and upgrading of the area and follows good zoning practices. Staff therefore recommends approval of version dated October 4th, 2023. Thank you. Do we have any speakers? We do. We have three signed up. Jojo Sue, if there's any questions. Brad Moore representing South Norfolk Civic League, speaking in support, followed by John Harbin. Good evening, and I'll be quick. Mr. Mayor, members of the council, my name is Brad Moore. I'm the president of South Norfolk Civic League. There's a letter there in your packet from us that, um, you know, I just kind of want to reemphasize that we considered this, you know, as a league and took it upon ourselves and also thank um, Mr. Bell from the planning department for coming. There was some additional, you know, questions about the text amendment and how it fit into the overall scheme in the neighborhood when we brought the issue up before our body in October. Um, so we kind of tabled it until November, had Mr. Bell come back prepared to answer any questions and all of a sudden those questions evaporated a month later. Um, so we are in full support. That is on behalf of the Civic League, on behalf of myself, I wholeheartedly support this. I've heard that, you know, my city is, or my section of the city is the heart of Chesapeake. I've heard that my section of the city is a special place. And I sort of see this, you know, modification of the business overlay district as being, becoming a more welcoming um, borough to developers of all stripes. As long as we can get rid of vacant lots, we're, we're in good shape, especially along that corridor. Um, so, you know, no objections I've heard from neighbors and I've, I've, I've heard objections, but I haven't heard them, you know, with foundation. I haven't heard them except from people just simply being contrarians, which, you know, it, it happens in a neighborhood, um, like ours. Um, and I also did want to thank, uh, Commissioner Hackworth, um, at the planning commission, it wasn't quite understood that the president of the South Norfolk Civic League was standing before the commission and saying he supported the idea, as the vice chair said. You know, well, we don't really know if the neighborhood supports it. Um, but, you know, it was Commissioner Hackworth that said, hey, let's hear from the South Norfolk Civic League president, and it's appreciated. And as he reminded the, the rest of the commissioners that if South Norfolk supports an idea, 
they're going to show up here in, in, in City Hall and tell you they support an idea. If South Norfolk opposes idea, you can bet that we're going to fill out seats and we're going to come down here and tell you we don't you know, support an idea. So by virtue of me, the president of the Civic League, being down here in support of the, this idea, I'd ask you all to support this text amendment so we can all go home. Thank you. Thank you. And that's what we're paid for, to hear both sides. Next speaker, please. John Harbin, representing Chesapeake Land Bank Authority, for questions only. Thank you, Mr. Harbin. <coughs> Since we've heard from all of our speakers, do we have a motion? Move approval. Thank you. That was second. Dated October 4th, 2023. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Ward and Mr. Whitaker. Is there any discussion? Yes. Yes, Ms. Ritter. I have a couple questions, please. On page two, sec, um, section three, can you tell, um, I guess to the manager, I would be asking, Mayor, or you might kick it right over to whomever. A new freight, a new um, thing for me. What's a party wall? No, I mean, I, really, I'm being serious. I, it's a term I've never heard. Did you go to college? <laughs> <laughs> Probably a different meaning. <laughs> I don't think we have party walls in Connecticut. Oh, you probably did. Does anyone answer Ms. Ritter's question? You know, I, I believe that this is a building term that's probably talking about the separation of units. If Mr. Tate has any... Owned by separate parties. So yeah. it's, a, it's a unit, it's a common wall, but the properties are owned by separate parties. It's like a wall between a townhouse unit that is owned, the two different... It's a shared common wall, but it's owned by different units. So the ownership is shared. Sounds like a problem. It's like a divide, like and every townhouse that has a that's a, a, an attached unit has a party wall that that is. Um, but a, see, you learn something every meeting, right? Is that in the table of definitions? Because if not, could we add it? And then I, I really have a serious question about the setbacks, and under what circumstances would the planning director find a zero? lot line setback to be acceptable. I, I, I assume it's, I can understand perhaps the front lot line. I'm having a little bit of trouble with the back, with the rear lot line. Yeah, I don't think you, in, in many circumstances, you wouldn't see necessarily a back property line that would be at a zero setback unless there was a very specific circumstance where that'd be necessary. You may see that with side lot lines, particularly with townhouse type developments. Or, like you said, the the front setbacks when it comes to a form, you know, the, the more urban form that's pushed to the street. Well, if I read this correctly, the side yards, the side yard setbacks remain the same, but it's allowable to have a ten to zero feet rear line setback. That that's a little bit troublesome to me. So, can somebody explain to me the origin of that? This is a similar uh, similar language that we've used with the Great Bridge Historic Gateway Overlay District as well, which allows for the provision within 
within acceptable standards for that for setbacks. You know, it, I I can't see in many circumstances where you'd have a, a zero rear yard setback on, in many cases, but there certainly could be a circumstance where the flexibility, particularly from zero to ten percent, would be would help us out in, in a situation that that works. Okay, because normally setbacks are for safety and compatibility. And if these are allowed outside of the conditional use permit process, then there's no comment allowed by anybody adjacent or what do you call it now, abutting? I'm gonna have to go home and reprogram my whole vocabulary after tonight. Um, it just concerns me to leave the setback decision without notice or, I mean, it's just concerning to me that an adjacent property owner might be concerned. So in this case, residential, solely residential uses are conditional use permits and would not be permitted without the approval of, from city council of a use permit. Mixed use dwellings, which are currently permitted within the South Norfolk Business Overlay District, continue to be permitted, but the, the, there is no provision at this point in time where a solely residential use would be permitted without the approval of a conditional use permit in this overlay district. Okay, but I mean, I, I hate to keep beating on this. That really isn't an answer to how you deal with the setback because that would come with the site plan. In this case, when the conditional use permit comes through, staff would be requesting a, the submittal of a site plan at that point in time for consideration by council. And at that point in time, there would be flexibility to administer those setbacks as approved by city council with the zero to 10%. But that is, you know, that would go with the conditional use permit itself. You could not modify that without council's consideration of that. Okay, so you're going to let me know that every single use permit that might come in under this will have the setback defined as a stipulation. Yes, I'll be watching. <laughs> they will have a preliminary site plan in place, which will be approved, and that will include setbacks on it. Okay, I, that is concerning to me. I want to see if there were any other. I th oh, yes, and you brought up the multifamily residential or mixed use as being permitted. So any application that comes through for mixed use would be permitted by right? As it is today. Well, no, it's permitted today, isn't it, under B-5 zoning? Of which none exists. Hang on here. So under the zoning ordinance for the South Norfolk Business Overlay District, in the exception table, multi-family residential units shall be located only in buildings where there are a minimum of two stories in height and shall be located on the second floor and above, provided that the ground floor is actively used or marketed for retail, commercial, office, institutional, or other permitted or conditional non-residential uses. So that, that is in place right now with the overlay district, regardless of the underlying zoning that's in place. Okay. 
I don't know, it concerns me that given the history of that type of development under the zoning ordinance has, let's say, not been a successful one in the city, to allow it permitted by right, what happens if it can't be financed or marketed? So this is zoning ordinance requirements here, which is going to certainly be different than you know some of the prop, some of your proffered rezonings, which have come back and requested modifications of proffers to 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 not allow this. This is by zoning ordinance and is and is a requirement. There's there's no exceptions except with the approval of perhaps a conditional use permit at that point in time, which would make it a a, a wholly residential use. But again, that comes before city council for approval and cannot happen on its own. Okay, I, I'm, you know, it, I, you, I get concerned with the details. My third one, and you can't answer that through this, is the ubiquitous issue of parking. Because it, space for parking is at a tremendous premium, and how is that going to be considered? Residential uses are still required to provide the required on-site parking spaces. Uh, there has been provision within the South Norfolk Business Overlay District where we made modifications last year, specifically for, for mixed-use type dwellings at that point in time, where there are provisions where you could provide for parking, but it would be off-site type situation. Um, and that was done after a pretty thorough parking study and, and survey was done in the South Norfolk business, in the South Norfolk area at that point in time. Okay, I, I know we all want to see advances and we want to see good development and redevelopment there, but that parking is a real issue. Speaking of which, I had asked Mr. Whitaker, do we have any information on the parking lot project moving forward. Did you get that, Mr. Whitaker? Uh, I did ask uh, our city manager earlier, and I am still waiting for that information, but yes. Yeah, we'll get we'll get a council a, a situation report on where we are in the parking lot, and also I've had questions on the, um, as you know, there's a parking garage associated with the South Norfolk Municipal Building, so when we can expect uh, both facilities to come online. Okay, that would be great. Thank you. Because I think that is something that's hampering the redevelopment is the ability to have adequate parking. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Ritter. Any other comments or questions? Council, please prepare to vote. Please vote and record. Motion to approve PLN text 2023-011, version dated October the 4th, 2023, as presented, is adopted by a 9-0 vote. Thank you. Is there any unfinished business at this time council members have? So before I ask for new business, I would like to take just a moment and ask the city manager to address a concern that we're all hearing uh, about the water bill. So, uh, Mr. Manager, would you please? Yes, sir. Thank you for, for the opportunity. So um, I think it's uh, everyone knows uh, the situation going on with water bills. We've had uh, um, a couple months of a uh, billing cycle with a higher than normal um, bills going out. 
I've asked David Jurgens, uh, Director of Public Utilities, to uh, come and give a presentation to Council. But ultimately, you know, for the community to hear, number one, what happened, what would cause the issue, number two, what we're doing uh, to address the issue, and then number three, long-term solutions to make sure that uh, things like this doesn't happen again. So uh, Mr. Jurgens, I believe, is uh, loading up his presentation, and uh, I'll turn it over to uh, David. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> so many of us have been hearing about the larger water bills our customers are receiving as a result of the longer duration uh, of, the, of the billing time period. The longer time it's been between the last meter reading and the current meter reading, which is what determines the duration of the water bill. <clears throat> so I'm gonna go through and explain. This is uh, the sequence. Falls back to the military training, tell them what you're gonna tell them and then tell them. So this is the situation. Many residential bills have been delayed. This started happening really in mid-December, first, second week of December, and is still going on today. We haven't quite got to the point where we're catching up yet. Most, a normal water bill duration is some, anywhere from 55 to 69 days. And we need that flexibility. You can't have it be always exactly 61.3 days, which is 365 divided by 60 because of weekends and holidays and weather and staffing issues. And, and plus, we know that typically in the fall, we try to get ahead. We try to get down to the 55 days so that we can plan for November when we lose five days due to holidays in the month of November. And then we have Christmas holiday, New Year's holiday, Martin Luther King. It, so. The, the winter time hits us. Had it snowed tomorrow, that would be another impact. So we have more challenges in that November, December, January time frame, and especially because also because it's winter time. So we've had um, one cycle, which is about 2,900 accounts, that actually hit the, the, the longest for one cycle was 80 days. But we've got, I could say, over 30,000 that are in the 70 to 79 day range. And we're still in that range this week. Um, this does not impact any non-residential accounts. And just for a fact basis, the average residential bill is 13 consumptions. When we do billing, we always truncate anything beyond the decimal point. We don't ever bill for 13.25 or anything like that. That 0.25 simply rolls like an odometer into the next billing period. So we always go with whole numbers. We don't round, we truncate at the decimal point. So why did this happen? It's a, it's, it is a combination of events. First of all, we did have the new billing software and the new rate structure that went into effect October 1st. How that affected us is we wanted to make sure that this new software was accurate. So we did a completely 100% independent check of all of the bills. We checked the math. As it turned out, they were all right which was a wonderful thing. But that took us one to three days from when we'd read the meter, bring it into the billing team, process that information, get it to our, our math checker and check all of that. That added one to three days to the process. Also, because we were in test mode before that, all of our work prior to go live on October 1st was done on weekends because we still had to do our normal billing process before that. So 
when we added the new software, frankly, my team is just not quite as proficient in it, and they wanted to be careful because accuracy is critically important. That's why we checked the math. So our team was moving a little slower than they probably could have to make sure we didn't screw anything up. Unfortunately, here we are. Uh, they didn't screw anything up, but the process just took us longer. Additionally, and unschedulable, two of our meter readers left right around that same time frame. So I went from a team of seven, I lost two, and I had an ankle injury. It's hard to read meters when you're on a hobbled up ankle. These folks were walking six to 10 miles a day. Can't do that on a bad ankle. So I went from seven staff down to four staff. Other things, I already mentioned the holidays. And then, you know, if you think about the last three weeks, we've had some really, really tough storms. When you get those super intense rains and your meters are underwater, it's, it's just, it's very slow to read the meters. You can't read them as quickly. So the weather has been a challenge. I'm really glad it's not gonna snow tomorrow. Solving the problem moving forward. So for our meter readers, they, were, they worked January 1st. They worked the Friday before New Year's weekend. They, they have been working weekends. They're working some voluntary overtime where they said, we recognize that we're challenged. We're gonna come in and work. Also, they're working some mandatory overtime. We're bringing in other folks from other teams that have proficiency in reading meters. Remember that accuracy is critical, so we can't bring in me to read meters. One, I'd be really slow because I'm old. But secondly, I haven't run a meter route for about 20 years. And I've done it, but I wouldn't be accurate enough in order to be able to do it. So we're bringing in team, staff from other teams that have the skill set required to do it well and then also plus up the, the regular team. We're also bringing staff, hiring to, to fill those positions. We've been trying to get temp staff, but none of the temp agencies have someone available. So it's been a challenge that way. Uh, we've had folks in the billing office because we had some challenges there too. We lost one key staff member. We've had them working some mandatory overtime. Remember, those were the same folks that were working overtime on weekends to prep for the transition because they were doing the testing. So they've been working a lot of weekends over the last six months. Uh, we had, unfortunately, we had someone out with shingles, someone out with COVID, we had someone out with, or two other people out with other respiratory diseases. They were working from home when they were capable of working because they recognized how important their business was. So, still solving the problem. When should we be back in normal range? Certainly within three to four weeks and we pray we don't get any snow or really bad rains. So that should, that we should be back within three to four weeks. We're gonna aim for less, we're gonna do the best we can to make it less. Impacts on customers, we're getting to the meat. If they have a normal billing period, there's no impact. If they have a longer billing period, then for users, and I'm gonna break our customers into two groups, for users that are about an average bill or higher than average bill, and again, we're just talking residential, and everything we're talking here is bi-monthly, they're gonna have an increased bill, a larger bill, simply because it's a longer time period and they've used more water. So if a bill is for 79 days and a normal bill, you know, in that 55 to 69 range, the average is 62 days, if you compare to a, a normal bill of, say, 62 in that average, you're talking two, a little over two weeks additional water consumption. So the bill is going to be higher simply because you used more water. That's, that is creating an unpleasant circumstance for our customers. It's a problem for some of our customers. I'll talk about how we're going to address that. But we recognize that that creates, that, that's, a, that's a problem. 
for other customers whose normal consumption under this new, well, let, let, me, let me show a picture. This, so this is how that impact hits our, our average and larger use customers. The chart on the left represents a normal, everything within that 55 to 69 day range. And their consumption varies a little bit, but generally doesn't vary a whole lot. That's a pretty normal billing, uh, typical bill. This is showing six bills. I used six bills because that's what you get in a normal year with bi-monthly billing. And then I've got the table down below. So if you're visual, we've got the chart. If you're, if you're numerical, we've got the table. Hopefully we can connect with everyone. So now on the left side is normal. On the right side is what's been occurring with this one larger billing period. You see that one billing period is stacked up higher. The bill is gonna be for more consumptions and therefore for more money. But if you look at the table below, the total number of consumptions billed for in that six bill time frame is the same because we're going to accelerate the building. As we get caught up, we're going to continue to move fast. We'll get the staff up. We're getting into spring because it's more efficient to read the meters in the spring. We don't have as many holidays. The weather is better. We don't get the big storms. So we'll get, we'll get caught up and then get ahead over these next two, three, four months to where we're looking at a target of 55 to 57 days of, for the bills. So we'll then we will bring that number in of days smaller and that amount of consumption smaller. So then the next couple bills on the right-hand chart, the last two are lower than they would have been in a typical where they're all in the middle of that normal range. So I'm gonna pause here and, and make sure that, that, see if there are any questions on this this piece. Um, thank you, Mr. Jurgens, for the information and for um, helping me understand this in depth. So from what I saw in the slide, our target for a shorter or reduced time frame is 55 to 57 days. That's what we're going to target once we get caught up. Yes, ma'am. 55 okay, to so 57 days. What is the, the range that we're looking at for being our shorter time period that we're going to use to make up for this overage that we've had? Is it going to be lesser than 55 days? It'll be 55 to 57. So it'll take several billing cycles to completely catch up. So that is going to be what's considered our reduced time frame, although our average time frame for bills is 55 to 69 days. We want to try to keep it on the very low end of average, yes ma'am. So mathematically, that does not make sense. How are we gonna go from billing people at the higher range of a 70 to 79 day bill, and then we're gonna put them back down to our average between 55 and 57, and it's all supposed to make sense? Wouldn't we be go below our average if we're going to be making up for the overage for this last 70 to 79 days? Because the average is a range, if we go to the bottom end of that range, the average of 365 days divided by six comes out to 61.3 or something. So by going to 55, if we, if we can hit 55, then we'll be catching up six days in each of those billing periods. So we're not gonna try to, to make it super fast. We're gonna try to catch it up over some time. It will take several billing cycles to get through with that catching up. But if we're at 70 days, for example, then we only have, to, to get to the middle, the absolute middle of that frame, time frame, 
eight days to catch up. So and we're almost already in it. So the worst are the 80 days. And, and so it, it may take us three billing periods to get caught up, but we can get caught up. Okay. I, I guess when you're looking at the difference between the period it is and our average period, I, I'm not seeing how that is going to play out over time. So I guess I just have a couple more questions. How is it going to affect those who are in HOAs? So where the HOA pays the bill and then it's put on to the, um, the owner there. Are we checking? Are we going to be proactive and try to pull bills? Or are we relying on people to contact us? So there's, there's two pieces. One, I'm, I'm not finished with all of the presentation. Okay. I'm going to just pause at this point. But, but for an HOA, for somebody that's on a master meter, this has no effect on them. Our monthly billing is actually performed by a different team that kept on schedule. So there's no delay in the monthly billing. When an HOA, how they bill their customers, that's between the HOA and the customer. It shouldn't have any effect based on any action of ours because we are still on schedule for our monthly billing for our larger meters, for our non-residential meters. Okay, and my last thing is just about, you mentioned there's some mandatory and voluntary overtime for both the meter readers and the billing department. Have we done a cost analysis on the cost that it's gonna be for overtime versus just the city eating basically that second rate and saying we're just gonna charge everyone the first rate until we can get caught up instead of us having to send people out so often that we don't have already the staff for, make people come in and check these bills over and over and over again, pale this overtime. Have we done a cost analysis between the difference of what's gonna cost the city in overtime versus what it would cost us to just forgive all the second rate and make it a first rate since this is pretty much the city's fault, it's not the citizens? So we're gonna be caught up in three, three to four weeks. So the amount of overtime we're talking about is maybe four to five days at a five-person team. So it's really not all that large of a number of hours of extra work for the, it's a challenge for the people that are working it. But in terms of the total gross number of dollars, we have not run that cost analysis, frankly. But the, I, I, and I can, I don't know the numbers yet for the Delta, but let me go through the rest and show how it's affecting some of those other customers, uh, the lower volume customers, and then see how that question still, okay. still carries through. Okay, thank you. Um, I just have one quick question before you move on to the solution. The, how did you reach the point that it was 2,900 affected accounts? I mean, I just find, how many, uh, can you guess how many accounts well, we have? Tens of thousands, So we, right? have, we have approximately 72,000 accounts. That, that 29, approximately 2,900 was one billing cycle. So we have our, the city broken down into uh, a number of billing cycles that we read in order okay. all the time. And it was one cycle that hit 80 days. Okay, so it wasn't the entire this is very helpful for me to understand. Mm -hmm. I, I had no idea that that was how you did it ever. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to know that, that it's broken down into different cycles. So I may be on a different cycle from somebody in Deep Creek. Absolutely, yes, ma'am. I hope you are because it would be terribly disorganized to do it with you two in the same. Okay, we do it I, by geographic area. Okay, so I wasn't aware that those were different 
actually delineated cycles. So we are now, we're talking about 2,900 accounts that may or may not have been involved in this. No, no, there were 2,900 accounts that were in this one cycle that were at 80 days. There's over 30,000, and it may be almost all of the customers in the city that end up being having a bill in that 70 to 79-day range. Okay. okay. It's going right. to affect almost everybody. Okay, thank you. Go ahead and move on. Okay, so now moving down to the, the center of the slide, the longer billing period for the customers that use below average consumption. So these are the ones that are 10 consumptions per billing period or less. And I highlight this because they're at a lower, lower tier, a lower rate for those first 10 consumptions. Every customer pays a lower rate. And I'll get to the tiers in just a moment. But so every customer pays a lower cost for those first consumptions per billing period. And then once we go over 10, the rate is higher for those. That was what we referred to as the affordability rate or, or a lifeline rate so that everybody could get that water required to survive. Washing, cooking, uh, eating, drinking, uh, showering, you know, the very essentials for a normal household you can get, you get that 10 consumptions at a much lower rate. So in a household with one person living there, they will almost always be there. In a household with four, they will almost never be there. A household with two or three, it just depends on their water use patterns. So how, we're, so the impacts on those is they're having the increased cost compared to normal because it's more consumption, because it's more days, but also some of their consumption is moving into a higher tier. So let me show you how this works. On the left-hand side would be typical consumption pattern with six bills in the middle of that average range, that normal range. On the right-hand side, we see what happens when they get the bill for a longer period where it might kick some of their consumption into that higher tiered rate. So they're paying a lower rate for the blue and the higher tiered rate for the orange. Now, I'm gonna, going back to this slide, if you notice, I missed one point on this. If you notice, at the bottom line on the table, they have the exact same number of consumptions at the first tier rate and at the higher tier rate because they get their 10 consumptions every billing period at the lower rate. And then everything above that 10 consumptions is at the higher rate. So what this does is it redistributes when that cost has to be paid because of that one higher bill or when that cost is billed to the customer. That's the reality of what's happening. But it doesn't cause them to have any consumptions move from one tier to the next. They are all at the appropriate billing rate. Okay, so moving back to our lower volume consumers, there's a chance that they may end up being billed for more because of this delay than they would have been billed under a normal, under a typical billing time frame. And we're going to make that right. If you look at the bottom line on the table, the difference between that 52 and that 50, 
they have two consumptions that they're paying more for than they would have had we not had the extended billing period. We're going to fix that with no action required on their part. So I think I already mentioned that. So, so immediate solutions for everybody. As soon as we realized this was happening, we stopped all penalties and interest for all customers. We're allowing, of course, no cost payment plans. So that if somebody says, this bill is too high, it's higher than what I'm used to, I can't handle this right now, okay, pay your normal bill, pay the rest of it later. No penalties, no interest because of that. We're gonna work out on payment arrangements if we need to. We recognize, as you said, this is not the customer's fault. This is due to our actions, not theirs. So we're not gonna hold this against them. We are working with any and all customers that are contacting us and a number have been. And then the bottom sentence is for those consumers, those customers who are generally in the lower tier, if any of their consumption moved to the higher tier where they're paying a higher rate for some of those consumptions, then we are going to credit their account. Just we're going to run the calculation, we're going to develop the spreadsheet and figure out who would have not been there under their normal schedule, but if they had one, two, or three, three consumptions in the higher tier because it took longer, we will apply a credit to their account for the exact amount that we build them more because of our extended time frame. So how that works, if their billing period was more than 69 days outside that normal range, we're going to base it on the actual consumption during that time frame, during that billing period that we read the meter for, and we're going to base it back to an average of 62. So if they would have had 10 consumptions at 62 days, but they had 13 consumptions at 80 days, then we are going to do a credit to their account for that extra three consumptions for the additional amount they would pay for that. So we're kind of doing what you're suggesting. We're crediting where it was necessary because they would be billing billed more because of our delay. Not their fault, we'll fix it. And again, this does not require any action, no application on the customer's part. We can figure out who all of these customers are and they'll see a credit on one of their next couple of bills. Now, let's realize that the credits will be pretty small. So here's where we look at the tiers. Sewer has no tiers, it's just that flat rate per consumption for any and all consumption. So that's the very bottom part. Focusing in the middle, the bottom tier for the water usage, the first 10 CCF under, these are 2023 rates because that's what most of our customers have seen so far. Under those 2023 rates, those are at $4.25 per CCF. Once we get above 10 consumptions, then it's the $9.06 per CCF per consumption. For those that were kicked into that second tier, for those consumptions above what they would normally have used, we will credit them that $4.81 delta. So what we'll have is a lot of credits to a lot of customers for a pretty small amount of money because it won't exceed or, or, or would only very, very rarely exceed three consumptions because if they're at four, 14 consumptions in 80 days, then they would have had some usage in that second tier. 
So they were already into that higher tier. Can I ask one question? Yes, ma'am. Could you go back to the previous slide? Uh, 2023 rates, $4.81. Um, so that's due to the longer bill period. That 2024 rate, $4.95. You know, it, it looks as if the rates went up from 481 to 495, regardless of whether or not uh, you, you were in that longer period. I just want to find out is that accurate? Did so, the rates go up to 495, or is it just because of the period? So the, dif the difference in the rates went up. We had a 2.9% rate increase that went effective January 1st. Oh, oh, That's that why we have a 2023 number and a 2024 number. That that was my question because there was a response that there was no rate increase this year but there was there yes ma'am there there Every was a rate increase year. effective yeah. january 1st exactly yeah there I was not a rate increase on october 1st it was a structure change no right but january 1st and i think that was the question some time ago that we actually have a rate increase in january and we did get that because i got one you know mm -hmm. it says yes, it increased so i wanted that clear or clarified for consumers because a lot of them were confused uh, when, they, when it, there was a statement that there was no rate increase this year. But it was January 1 and January 1 of last year. Yes, but I just, you know, I wanted to make sure that our customers understand that, that, you know, because it really did say no rate increase for 2024, basically, or no rate increase for 2023. I just want that clarified. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. So, this shows the dollar value for those that have had a consumption or two consumptions or three that moved up into the higher tier and the amount that we will credit on those accounts. We're going to evaluate all of the accounts, all of the bills. Moving to the longer term solution, we are working, as, as we've said, to automatic meter reading. We've converted most of our non-residential accounts. The 3,000 accounts are already converted to radio read. <laughs> now we have 69,000 more to go. But it's progress. You have to start somewhere. We are piloting within the next few months using the, the IT capability that we're getting, and we're going to be using a fixed space antenna out by the PSOC, the Public Safety Operations Center, uh, to read meters from that antenna then we won't even have to be doing the drive-by. Now, radio read is not a panacea of perfect. There are still things that cause reads to not work. But it's still better, and it reduces the potential for trans you know, transposing two numbers. We'll start the residential AMR process in late 2024, and it's going to take us about five years to complete. Once we get that done, we'll be moving to monthly billing for all of our customers, which will make their lives a lot better. Consistency time frame, smaller dollar value per bill. And with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. Before we go to questions, Ms. Mayor, I just want to reiterate, and, and to Councilmember Nuance's point, uh, that uh, that was a good way to frame it up. And uh, if, I were, if I were doing this presentation over again, I think I would have switched the parts about the actively applied credit versus the, the reduction in the bill, because it's a different way of getting at the, the, the issue you brought up about customers didn't do anything wrong. Um, the city had a longer billing period than normal. And so it's a two-pronged strategy. It's an actively applied credit, which is different for every single bill. We'll have a different credit amount based on 
they didn't do anything wrong but got kicked into a higher tier, so we'll calculate that and apply an active credit. But then in addition, the bill itself was bigger because of the longer um, time period, regardless of the, of the rate structure, and so the shorter time period um, will result in at least one or maybe two smaller than average bills so that we get you know, at, the end, at the end of the day um, to where you know, people have paid this, what they would have paid um, on both the rate structure side of the house and in the actual dollars you know, based on average bill side of the house. Um, so, uh, but what David didn't say, which I'm sure he was prepared to say though, is if people have specific questions about their, their accounts, we're resourcing up so that we can answer those questions on an individual account basis because everybody's individual account will vary and, and we want to make sure we get them that specific information uh, about their account. So if they have questions um, about the, their, their account, we do encourage them to reach out to David and his team to, to, to get, uh, get information and answers on their accounts. And Mr. Manager, those issues would be handled over the phone generally if, if people can't come in. I we'll, we'll handle by email, we'll handle by phone, we'll handle by walk-in, however they contact us. We're, we're, we will communicate with, us, with our customers in any way that we can to try to help them out. Gotcha. Thank you. Go ahead. Um, Mr. Jurgens, you mentioned that we were going to automatically credit the accounts. Do we have a time frame for when that's going to happen? Will that be the next account or bill that we get? I would, I, I would say probably, but I'd hesitate to promise that okay. because we are still above this, the 69 days. We're still in the problem and working to get out of the problem first, and then we will start being able to, to calculate what the... Uh, what those credits would be. We can't do any of that credit calculation until we no longer have any that are above the 69 days. We have to be through with that before we can figure out everybody who would be owed that credit. Okay. And then I guess um, I just wanted to express the frustration I think I, maybe even other council members share in the communication to the citizens. I know you're well aware I've received, I'm now up to I think 32 emails in the last five days from citizens who um, have received bills that are higher than normal. So I know we put out a slip in our last bill, but if we could put more information about, hey, this is gonna happen again, and we're evaluating the bills, if you are owed a credit, it will automatically come. If you don't see it by maybe X day, then give us a call. Um, that way we're not getting inundated by so many people who are saying, I've got this problem, and you're saying, I know you've got this problem, I'm trying to fix it. So, and then we just keep her in this this pattern of being backlogged. So if we're able to communicate better to the citizens about where we stand, what's going on, because this is a, I mean, it may seem simple to you because you live and eat the world of water, but it seems like a very dense issue for at least me to grasp um, that we can try to put on some kind of slip that we can put in bills again, that this is what's happened and be on the lookout. We're going to, we're proactively taking the steps to fix it. So I, I actually did a, a couple of versions of an interview on, with public communications that, that we'll be posting the link to on social media, and that's a public com, pubcom. That's that's their purview of how they communicate that out. But we went through this explanation earlier today on camera. Uh, we're doing it here. They'll have that link posted as well, so that we can be getting this message out. I'm going to be sitting down with all of my customer service staff and our billing staff and going through this same thing, so that we can all be on a full, coherent, unified message and getting that out to our customers. 
honestly, you mentioned putting a slip in the bill. By the time we could get that done, we're going to be, that would take at least two to three months to be able to execute that. So that would be, at that point, old news. But we will be able to try to put a message, we will attempt to put a message on the bills saying we recognize and this is what our plan is. It's going to be just a one-line or a two-line type message. So we'll try to get that onto the next cycle of bills. Because the more our customers can know about this, about the challenge that we're facing and how we're going to deal with it, the better off we all are. Uh, it, it takes quite a while to explain this to the customers. I spent an hour and a half after the last council meeting upstairs with those six customers talking to it in the half dark, <laughs> going through the process and showing them these charts and showing how it works over the long term. But I, I would also like to say, I, the, uh, excellent point, and we're, we're going to communicate consistent messaging across all, all channels. So whether it's social media, um, text on the bills itself, or when people direct call. In addition, you know, David mentioned some staffing challenges. Um, we have a customer contact center that we utilize for, for um, frequent calls, um, and we'll work with David's team to triage frequent, frequently asked questions. So, so if we need spillover um, assistance to help customers, we want the customers to get the assistance as quickly as possible so that it's, it's seamless for them. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll continue messaging on all channels and then resource up to make sure we can answer people's questions about their specific bills. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mr. Jurgens. do you mind just giving the email that folks can email if they have questions about their bill and the phone number they can call just for people watching? Numbers in public. <laughs> I, think, I believe our email would be water at cityofchesapeake.net, and I should have the phone number right here just to make sure I don't mess it up. Uh, 757-382. 6352. Again, 757-382-6352. That is our phone number for our customer call center for the public utilities. And the email is water at cityofchesapeake.net. Well, as always, I'm concerned about the communication piece. So my suggestion often to people is when you get the message, run it by people who aren't immersed in the engineering world. Or you say the public works folks, send your wife out on the route you're planning with three tired, cranky, hungry children in the car and see how it works out for you. It's for people who are immersed in and totally understand that world, these are easy to explain to. For normal people like me, they may not be. Mm -hmm. And of course, for those, we are no longer in that category. Sometimes I really wish we were. If people don't have city water, it's not affecting them at all. Um, I haven't heard any explosions from the bill payer in the house, so we must not have jumped up or something. But he did note, those notes in the bills really are read. I'm shocked it takes two to three months, but I understand that's probably warp speed for government, right? 
I just wish you all the best, and I hope that you find a way to craft the message where the solution comes first. If you have had this problem, please call. Let us explain what's happened. But if the first, you know, when people get something or they read it, you have 10 seconds, maybe, to attract their attention. We're very much a headline and lead paragraph society today. So let them know that you've heard the concerns, that you have a solution. Here's what you do if you have an issue. And then go in with your concise explanation, because I think most people are just going to want to know can you solve the problem? Yes, ma'am. And if they know you can solve this problem, you're going to help with that confidence level that seems to be so low everywhere. It, it's not. This is just one of those um, unavoidable issues that have hit people. And, I mean, let's face it, no level of government holds 100% confidence by people today. So. I know you're a very good communicator, and I know our staff is, so I hope you can find that consistent, clear, <coughs> quick, at least lead in to the message. That's legal, right, Ms. Lindley? <laughs> thank you very much. Dr. Ward? Thank you. I just want to say thank you, too, Ms. Newman and Ms. Vera, and what you're doing, but because there are people who believe that all of this happened because of the rate increase. So I, that's the reason why I wanted that clarified. Uh, you know, maybe it was small, but that's the first thing that people think of when they got the jump. Now we're getting the explanation, you know, after the fact that they've already gotten these bills, those in their 79 or whatever, 80%. But the first thing they think about is you increase the water bill again, and that's the reason why, uh, you know, rather than not knowing about the 79 days and all of that and the choice of staff, the reason why. And, of the explanation. It's the first thing they think of, I was and very, we get hit with that. I was very appreciative you brought that up because it, mm -hmm. you know it's easy for us. To, and, and Councilmember Ritter said this too. We um, we're we're sort of experts in the details, and you know making sure we're starting from the beginning of the story and not jumping to the conclusion. Okay, I want to thank everyone for their thank input. You. And is there any other closed new business issues before we? Vote on our language for the closed meeting on January 23rd. A motion to conduct a closed meeting on Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024 at 4.30 p.m. in the city council chambers of City Hall to discuss plans to protect public safety as it relates to specific cybersecurity threats or vulnerabilities. For discussion in an open meeting would jeopardize the security of any facility, building, structure, information technology system, or software program. For the purpose of discussing the latest landscape of cybersecurity vulnerabilities and the status of new controls being put in place, as permitted by Section 2.2-3711A19 of the Code of Virginia. Thank you. Motion is in order, please. Second. Thank you very much. Please prepare to vote. Please vote and record. Motion to conduct a closed meeting on January the 23rd is adopted by a 9-0 vote. Thank you. Um, do we need a second motion having to do with the um, appointments? Mr. Attorney, have, have, we have we done the motions for all the closed meetings? 
We certified the closed session from today at the top of the meeting. Right. And so now we've read a motion for the meeting next week. So I believe we are in satisfaction of legal requirements. Thank you. Was that included, the, app, the um, discussion of appointments in your motion? I must have missed that. I was not informed that there would be discussion of appointments next week. Oh, you're correct. You're, thank you, Ms. Ritter, for clarifying that. There may be uh, brief discussions for appointments next week. Okay. Um, all right. Then let's also do this. A motion to conduct a closed meeting, and will that need to um, may it change the start time from 4.30 to earlier? No. Okay. Um, so adding on to the motion for next week, Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024, at 4.30, Council Chambers um, to also discuss appointments to boards and commissions. Um, and which boards and commissions are they, if you don't mind saying them for the record? Um, South Norfolk Revitalization. Right? No, no, all of them. Hospitals. South Norfolk Revitalization, Hospital. Chesapeake Regional Medical Center, uh, uh, Authority. And that's it. And what? Chesapeake Bay Bridge uh, Preservation. Okay. All right, so to conduct a closed session regarding the boards and commissions that we just read into the record, all as permitted by Code of Virginia 2.2-3711A2 of the Code of Virginia. Thank you, I apologize for that. I should have informed you of that from our discussion. Please Thank prepare you. to vote. Do we need a motion? Do we have a motion? Um, Thank you for that approval, Mr. Ike. And Secondary, please prepare to vote. Please vote and record. Motion to to conduct a second closed meeting on January the twenty third is adopted by an eight to one vote. Um, it's, new ones will lead us in our benediction. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us here today. I thank our mayor for recognizing Detective Shivers and his family. Lord, be with both his family, blood and blue, as we remember his legacy that he's provided to our city. As we depart from this space now, we ask you to bless us throughout the remainder of our day. Guide us home safely. In this we pray. Amen. Amen.